As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. I try to jam as many people as possible in that inspection period, and I try to extend the inspection period for as long as possible. So that way, I'm basically risk-free in my evaluation of this house. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations, not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then the last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about the pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E, you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. 
For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, today's guest is being interviewed by Theo Hicks. You know, Theo, he's with us every Friday on Follow Along Friday. You're going to get a lot of value from this conversation. So with that being said, let's get going. Hello, Best Ever listeners, and welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever show. I'm Theo Hicks, and today I'll be speaking with Nathan Britton. Nathan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Theo. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you for joining us. A little bit about Nathan. He is a full-time insurance broker and a part-time real estate investor with five years of real estate experience. His portfolio consists of two flips and one rental. He is based in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and his website is www.pi-ins.com backslash Nathan dash Britain. And so Nathan spelled normally and then dash and B-R-I-T-T-E-N. So just go to the show notes and click on his website. <laughs> It'd be easier that way. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure everybody's writing that down letter for letters. Well, all right, Nathan, do you mind telling us some more about your background and what you're focused on today? Yeah. So I graduated from OU in 2014 with a degree in entrepreneurship. And that's not a very common degree, but generally speaking, it's kind of general business. And essentially we started companies basically each semester and kind of pitch to investors and banks and try to prove viability, stuff like that. So I gave a lot of good background and training into sales and general business. So after I graduated, I started a CNG conversion business with my dad, which converted vehicles around on natural gas. We sold that about two years once oil and gas was going down and got out of that. And I knew of a guy who worked in insurance in Oklahoma City and was kind of exploring all my different options and interviewed with them. And it was kind of the entrepreneurial spirit of being able to create your own book and go out and build your own thing, but kind of under the scope of a company, but got a lot of freedom and a lot of basically freedom to do whatever you do and grow your business. So with that, I got into running a lot of property for insurance, a lot of single family investors, large schedules, apartment schedules, and being in Oklahoma, that's a little bit more challenging than other places to insure things. So with that, I met a lot of good contacts, got involved a lot of real estate investing groups and kind of learned from them and picked up some things along the way and decided to kind of do my own things. And really it came out of needing a place to live. And it's like, well, guess we'll just buy a house and got into a deal that uh, I guess what brought me to there, but got into a deal that was a short sale and it was terrible, kind of a drug house almost, not in good condition. And Turned that into basically a, a flip property, kind of my first endeavor in that. And that's kind of where it got me to this point of what I do now. And obviously full-time is insurance broker for a lot of property risks. And then now I just basically do my free time is just looking for deals and flips and other rentals. So for your insurance job, that's providing insurance for real estate, right? Primarily, yes. Interesting. So this is the first time I've heard of someone getting into real estate through insurance? It's an unusual path. And really because property is not everyone's favorite thing to do for insurance. And it's just something that I was kind of naturally drawn to. And we've got a really great program now that we write nationwide. We'll probably have about 20,000 rental properties in there. 
and a great apartment program as well. So got to get my own plug in here. Anybody looking for single family rentals or apartment quotes, I'm your guy. So when people are kind of first starting off, there's usually two philosophies. The one philosophy is after they've gotten interested in real estate, their main focus is to quit their job and then do real estate full time. And then there's the other philosophy that I'm going to keep working and then do real estate part-time because of the benefits of having a full-time job. So from your perspective, is your plan to eventually do real estate full-time or do you plan on doing it with this full-time job? And then whatever your answer is, why do you select that route? I think there's a line that you cross once you either have certain amount of funds or you have a model that you're going after and a situational job that would force you to go full-time into real estate investing. Insurance is one of those where, as I was mentioned earlier, a lot of flexibility, a lot of freedom. And that's what allowed me to, the two flips that I've done thus far. Granted, they were pretty close to my office, but I was spending primarily all my time during the day managing contractors and projects at the houses and can still get most of the insurance stuffs done through my phone. So it gives me that kind of freedom. But eventually I do enjoy investing in real estate and doing those type of projects more than insurance. But that's the thing that provides me my money to do that. So there's a line, I think it's probably a money line, not to say that you can't go out and raise some money and partner with people, different ways to do that. But for now, what works best for me and kind of how I see it for the foreseeable future is keep insurance book rolling and invest in real estate on the side and kind of have best of both worlds. What would be your recommendation to someone who wants to get started in real estate and they have a full-time job, but it's not like yours where it's very flexible? I'll say they have a full-time job and they're in an office. They're a non-real estate related full-time job. They're in an office. I guess not now, technically not in an office, but they need to be in front of their computer or in an office starting at eight o'clock and they can't get off until five o'clock. What would be your recommendation to them to get started? Well, you're going to have to delegate a little bit. If you buy a rental, you're probably going to have to hire a property manager. I don't have a property manager personally, just because I've just got one rental and I handle that pretty well. And they're five minutes from my office if I ever need anything. You're going to have to put in some overtime. You can't be looking for deals and meeting with people during your work hours. That's a little bit of conflict of interest. Boss probably wouldn't appreciate that. But after hours, the internet is 24-7, so... You can get a lot of stuff done on the internet. I'm sure you know, Theo. And as far as a lot of those real estate investing clubs, they meet after hours. You can learn a lot there. Obviously, a lot of books and articles and websites like Bigger Pockets where we connected. You can get a lot of information that way. As far as if you were to do a flip, that's pretty tough because I personally like to be very hands-on and I don't know everything off the top of my head to tell you, hey, go do this and do it this way. I need to be there. And if you ask me a question, I can answer it, say how I want it. But that's going to be a lot more hands-on. So I probably wouldn't go with the full flip. Otherwise, it's going to either take way too long or it's going to be way too troublesome, I think, if you're not actually there. So obviously, it's very difficult to do the flip. So if you did not have this insurance job, would you have not done the flip or would you have been willing to change to a more flexible job to do flips? I would have found a way. I'm just kind of problem solver by nature. It just happened to be the way I did it. 
I think if I was tied to a desk eight to five, I don't think I could do that for very long. <laughs> I'd probably be out in, I would say, less than a month of that kind of situation. And I think I would have gone more towards drop that eight to five, go full in on real estate because obviously I'm young. I could take a few more risks. I would figure out a way to raise some money and partner with people and just problem solver by nature. So whatever situation I feel like gets thrown at me, I figure out a way to solve it and make it work. Let's talk about your rental. So you mentioned the first flip. Did you go in with the intention of living there and it turned into a flip? Yeah, I actually did live there for a bit. It's like a live-in flip. Yes. I got on a short sale, which I had no idea what that meant. And I don't think my realtor really did either. So I wasn't very well prepped for it. And I had a lease ending this month and it ended up taking much longer to get the property actually closed. And once we did, I was like, man, we are right on the line here. I got to jam $30,000 and basically a full remodel of this place into one month. And we ended up doing it. And I was there pretty much all day, every day. And it was definitely trial by fire. And I really enjoyed it. I thought it was awesome. And then it turned out exactly how I wanted it. And then I kind of combined a few different of the entryways into real estate investing. I had a, a buddy who's in med school. He was renting from me and basically paying my mortgage for it too at the same time once we got it finished. So we did that for a couple of years and ended up selling it for basically double for what we had into it. So it's a good deal. And then after that flip, was the rental next or was the rental the third deal? The rental was next. It was actually a place next door and I just had been keeping tabs on it and it was a great area and essentially did my exact same deal of how I bought this house, the first flip, and just bought the one next door. And it was in even worse condition. And I'd had a little more time to evaluate the area. And obviously now I have my contractors that I trust and know they can do good work and more of an idea of what it would take to do this. So got that fixed up and ready and not as nice as the first one because I knew I was going to be renting it. But I've had pretty much the same tenants in there for coming up on three, four years now. You said it was next door. So was it something that you kind of just waited for it to go on the market or did you actively pursue this deal? I did actively pursue it. I knew that they were renting it and I didn't like the neighbors. I didn't like the renters. They were terrible. I think it was a drug house and it was just a situation poorly kept. I just reached out to the guy who owned it, found him online and was like, hey man, I live next door. I like this house. I'd like to buy it from you. And it just turned out to be a situation where they were kind of a hassle for him. So we bought it, got some new renters in there and it worked out. But I definitely had to find that and pursue him. Did you use the same contractors on that deal that you used on your first deal? Most of them. They're not general contractors, but I just know a lot of people that do a lot of that type of work. As for bigger companies, I'd say, hey man, you know anybody that can do this? And then they would refer me to someone that way. But for the most part, it's kind of the same crew couple different changes, but kind of the same crew. So those contacts, that was from your insurance job? I've grown up in Oklahoma City my whole life, and my dad was in sales, so he just knows a lot of people around town, and that's kind of how I came into contact with other people. And then they were nice enough to say, hey, yeah, this guy's great for this. Go ahead and use him. It wasn't really interfering with their business. It was one of their subcontractors. Circling back to the rental really quick. So you call the guy, was he, yeah, I'll sell it to you right away or did it take some convincing? Oh, it took some convincing and really kind of 
overpaid for what I thought was market, but it was a deal I saw long-term value in. And I knew there was a commercial development going at the end of the street. And really that was my main driver. It's like once this actually gets approved, then everything on the street is really going to increase the value. So I was like, well, I'll overpay now for the market value and I'm going to hold it for a long time and I'll be covering my holding costs anyway. So yeah, it made sense to me. Now to my next question. So eventually he agreed to sell it. How did you determine the price? He said it was a little bit over market. So two-part question, how did you figure out the market and then where that over the market price come from? Was that just what he wanted? I'm not extremely educated in real estate. So there's a lot of terms and outside factors and equations probably that I'm not familiar with. What I always boil it down to is, okay, what's our average price per square foot around here of what's sold recently? And then what's on the market below that? And I'm not scared of a ugly looking house where nothing works. I think the two that I've done are some of the worst that you can do <laughs> as far as keeping the existing structure and not just knocking the thing down and building it back up. So that's never deterred me at all. So I really just look for the worst house in the neighborhood. And if the price per square foot is right, then what I've done in my past is basically use a construction loan to do the costs. And then I know that my after renovation value is going to be enough to get my equity and I'll be set that way. So I boil it down to price per square foot in the area and try to find the crappy ones and then go from there. And what about the rehab cost? Do you typically know that before you buy or is that something that's more narrowed down after you put the property under contract or is it not until after you buy it? I can ballpark it before depending on the projects that are needed. A lot of stuff you can research online and make a couple calls to your contractors. And if you have the right people come out and inspect it beforehand, you'll know exactly what you're going to do before. And I try to jam in as many people as possible. Realtors hate me because I try to jam in as many people as possible in that inspection period. And I try to extend the inspection period for as long as possible. So that way I'm basically risk-free in my evaluation of this house. And I can just basically have all my guys come in and bid it during the inspection period. So that's my plan about it. Yeah. And then for the construction loan, the down payment, is that just money you have saved up from work? Yeah, I've got saved up from work and we sold our business, had some funds there and I've just always lived pretty cheap as it is. So yeah. And I've got pretty good banking relationships as well around here. So been kind of flexible with me on down payment stuff as well. So it's really just, if you find a good banker that can do that kind of stuff for you, that's really, really valuable. Okay, Nathan, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? I could go basic and say buy low, sell high, but I guess figure out the lowest barrier of entry with the highest ceiling at the end of the project is probably what I would say, especially just starting out. And anybody that invests in real estate kind of has the same mindset of, I want to make money in a way that's passive. I want to make money in a way that is a little bit unconventional. So the end goal, I think, for most people is making money. So if you're just starting out, especially, just find that lowest barrier of entry with the highest upside. So that's the expanded buy low, sell high. All right, Nathan, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. 
All right. First, a quick word from our sponsor. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. Do you buy property worth over a million dollars? And are you missing huge income tax benefits? Cost segregation is one of the methods I use myself to lower taxes on our properties and increase the cash flow. Call Yona Wise with Madison Specs at 732-333-1477. Okay, Nathan, what is the best ever book you've recently read? Recently read? I kind of went back into the archives a little bit and reread How to Win Friends, Influence People, Dale Carnegie. And that's not necessarily real estate focused, but the practices in there of dealing with people, you have to deal with a lot of people in real estate and just in life in general and learning how to understand people and how to treat them. That's key. If your business were to collapse today, what would you do next? So if insurance collapsed, yeah, I think I would probably partner up with my family and we would probably start a real estate empire. I just go full bore at it. What is the best ever way you'd like to give back? Probably my favorite was Big Brothers Big Sisters. Great national organization. Still really involved in Oklahoma. It's just awesome giving back to kids that haven't been really been given a fair shot for whatever reason and being able to mentor them and just be there for them to talk to them. Really cool. Really rewarding. And then last, like, what's the best ever place to reach you? Probably my cell phone, 405-802-9930. All right, Nathan. Well, thanks for joining us and walking us through your journey from entrepreneurship degree in college to insurance to real estate. So we talked a little bit about how to navigate getting into real estate while you have a job. So if you have a flexible job, then you'll be able to work on things like flips during the day. If you don't have a flexible job, it's a nine to five, and you are not like Nathan, you can handle being at the desk, then you're going to put in time after hours, put in overtime, have property management. But if you're like Nathan, you don't like nine to five, and you're young and you can take risks, then you could just not work at all and go straight into real estate. We talked about a few of his deals. His first deal was a short sale, kind of live-in flip that he sold for two times what he had into it. And his next deal was a rental that he actually found from a property next door. So I don't think I've talked about this in a long time, but a really good way to find off-market deals is to buy the property, whether it's a single family or massive apartments, buy a property on that same street because you kind of already have that credibility from owning something there. And so they can look at this property. And I'm sure in Nathan's case, seeing a dump turn into a really nice property, they're more willing to sell to someone like that than some random person that they haven't met before. So he kind of walked us through his business plan with the construction loan, bringing as many people as he can during the inspection period to make sure the rehab costs are super accurate, having good banking relationships to get those good loan terms. And then to determine the offer price using the average price per square foot on recent sales. So the sales comparable approach in a sense. And then lastly, his best ever advice was for those looking to get started, find that lowest barrier of entry. So that $30,000, $50,000 house that's in horrible condition because it has not only the lowest barrier of entry, but also the highest, best potential exit, most upside. 
And then he gave us his phone number. If you want to learn more about him and his business, talk to him, text him. So Nathan, thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. Enjoy our conversation. Best of listeners as always. Thank you for listening. Have a best ever day and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Awesome. Thanks, Theo. Appreciate it.